your maze tattoo, update your conspiracy board, and get ready to weather the storm with us as we return to Haven. This is Troubled, self-proclaimed number one Haven rewatch podcast. Debuting back in 2010 as a sci-fi channel original show, Haven stars Emily Rose, Lucas Bryant, and Eric Balfour as they take on a different curse every week while trying to solve the mysteries of Haven. I am your first host in our father-son podcasting duo, Alex French. And I'm Rich French, the French who is sunburnt because he never figured out how to use sunblock properly. All right. And as usual, we like to do a summary on the episode we are covering today. It is episode 11 of season two, Business as Usual. All right. So episode begins. We got a, a guy, his name Reggie, right? Yeah, Reggie running in a mar- marathon there along the shore of Haven. Sweating his ass off. He's sweating super hardcore. This girl tries to give him water. He drinks and he's going for more water, more water. She's like, I think you're overdoing it. We should see a medic. He runs into a tent and uh, starts drying out. His skin starts getting all crispy, flaky, and then he falls down and gets mummified, basically. The next scene is uh, Nathan and Audrey come to the tent to investigate, uh, you know, uh, Reggie's uh, obvious death. And for some, you know, and I guess it's so hot that Nathan is literally sweating through every part of his shirt that's basically touching his skin almost. Right. And, you know, and and at this point that they figure out that it's Reggie, you know, and Dwight comes in and Dwight uh, turns out he was a friend of Reggie's and they used to fish and he invited him some meeting tomorrow at Finnegan's for the troubled. Yeah. And so when we kind of go outside or they're like, it might be might have something to do with that. They go outside and this asshole named Patrick uh, knows he's like, oh, I bet it's this other dude, Stu, that, you know, probably did it. You want to do the voice of Patrick? (laughs) No, no, no. Of uh of a particular character yelling stew. Oh, yes, that's right. Hey, look, guys, it's Stu. He's back. <laughs> I'm Teddy. That's uh, <laughs> from the stand. Stephen King's uh, cameo. All right, so this guy, Patrick, is yelling, like, I bet it's that guy, Stu. He's troubled. He probably fucking did this. I'm going to get all, you know, we're going to fucking, we're going to get all the troubled people, blah, blah, blah. Basically trying to incite some hate in the in the right nathan intervenes and tries to shut him down but then he basically threatens nathan and audrey next time you mess up uh you're both going down right so uh meanwhile nathan and audrey are kind of butting heads as they you know start investigating all this shit right they're like let's go look into stew but they're kind of arguing because audrey's got this really cavalier attitude and nathan's like you know you just shot the rev you've pissed off the whole town you need to like take it easy lie a little low and she's like no 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 the investigation cleared i'm good i did the right thing do you think i did the right thing he's like yeah 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 so they're kind of butting heads you know as nathan's getting frustrated with audrey's uh just not taking any of this carefully and she's being a little reckless in his opinion right so a guy named barry is shriveled up on his riding lawnmower and his wife annie explains he was friends with Stu. And Stu was trying to uh, get him to come over, come to the meeting tomorrow for the troubled folks. And so that's, they figure out, okay, Stu is our, our common thread. Let's go find Stu. Right. So they go to Stu's house to find him, uh, find his wife tied up, door open, busted in, no Stu, unfortunately. So they realize, okay, Stu isn't really behind this. It's whoever kidnapped him. Uh, the wife gives them a clue. They basically figure out it's probably that Patrick asshole from the marathon, right? Right. She saw what she thought was a tattoo of numbers on the leg, and they figure out that's the numbers that they wrote, wrote on the legs for the marathon uh, competitors. So, 
Right. So they're like, okay, Stu's in trouble. This Patrick dirtbag is trying to make it look like it's Stu to frame him to make trouble people look even worse. So they uh, start following. So they go pick up Patrick, take him to the police station. He's like, I'm a lawyer. Fuck you. Uh, I'm out of here. And Audrey's like, well, we got to do this the hard way then. Yeah. Nathan lets him go. And Audrey gets pissed at Nathan for letting him go. But he's like, yeah, you're basically you're making things worse. But right. So she starts following him in her squad car around town she tracks him to this warehouse meets him inside and handcuffs him right for jaywalking yeah so. for jaywalking uh turns out he's keeping stew upstairs and he uh sets a fire right yep he sets the room on fire and stew is stuck to the tied to the chair audrey just burst in there recklessly and uh, Stu tries to warn her about his his sweat be- being killing you but she's like hey, you won't hurt me but she does get him get him out of there right and uh you know, they go to meet with him and the wife and they're like, we're moving out of town. She's like, I don't care that he's troubled. We still love each other. Blah, 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 blah. Audrey and Nathan are like, huh? Uh, you know, despite our differences, we should still be friends. Right. Uh, outside, you know, their kind of argument coalesces and, you know, Nathan reveals like, yeah, I'm frustrated because I think of you more as more than a partner. Now you're not just a partner. You're uh, doesn't finish a statement, but he does give Audrey the address to where Lucy Ripley lives. Correct. Right. Earlier, he was seen on a cell phone talking kind of discreetly at which and but it turns out the result of that phone call was Lucy Ripley's address. And she is so overwhelmed by that that she starts to leave to go talk to Lucy and she has to run back and kiss Nathan on the lips this time. So it's a serious kiss. Uh, Yeah. So they make out. Then she runs off to go find Lucy. Uh, she meets with Lucy. It's this older, older woman who is like, oh, you told me that you would come back eventually and to tell you kind of a little bit what's up when you returned. Lucy uh, told Audrey that, you know, the previous Lucy was the one who told me that uh, you, you would come see me and that I wasn't supposed to tell anyone else anything else because they erased her memory because she had figured it out. After a certain murder, she discovered the secret of how the trouble started and she knew how to fix them. But obviously, they caught up with her and erased her because Audrey doesn't know anything about that. But she also mentions after this that uh, a man did come to see her and she didn't, there's something off about this guy. So she just didn't trust him. And, you know, because he wanted to find Lucy because he said he could help her. But uh, she was like, I don't trust him. So she uh, didn't tell him anything. And it turns out his name was Simon Crocker. Right. So Audrey's going to go pay a visit to Duke. But we'll pick back up on that in a minute because the kind of secondary story that had been going on this whole episode, Duke was Duke's side story. So Duke finds the box from before. He finds it in the Cape Rouge. You know, he's going through Evie's shit, trying to get rid of it, calling her mom, et cetera, et cetera. Finds the box again with a note from Evie. You know, saying like, hey, when we sold it, I bought it back, hold it under a black light. So Duke does and says, sees the name Crocker. So he needs to get some more information on this thing now that uh, it's totally connected to him at this point. Right. So uh, Duke goes to the Haven Herald where he sees uh, sees the Teagues brothers uh, ride up on their tandem bike. And um, he asks them to look into the box. Vince is clearly disturbed and says they're too busy. But Dave is interested, says he recognizes the work and he'd be glad to look into it, which Duke gladly, you know, asks them Dave to do. And then uh, Vince again asks him, hey, why don't you leave the box with us? But Duke's like, no, nah, I'm going to keep it. And then he leaves. <laughs> and freaking uh, Vince is like, uh, he's, he's pissed at Dave. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. 
and Dave's like, uh, this town's got to face its realities, all of them. So, and then uh, after Dave goes in, Vince picks out his, you know, takes out a cell and he makes a call and he tells someone to come see him because he's got a job for them. Right. So Duke heads back to the Cape Rouge, a hard day of investigating, finds that somebody is in his boathouse. He goes inside, gets in a fight. We can see it's a big person. And when the lights come on, it turns out it's Dwight. That's who Vince called to get the box. They're fighting over the box. A key comes out of it. Uh, So the key is actually what they want. So they kind of make a pact. You know, Duke is like, hey, they're not going to tell you. They didn't tell you what was up with this. They didn't tell me. How about you and I work together and we figure out what this key unlocks, right? Right. It's not like a Team America pact, but uh, they uh, now it's they, just over some drinks, but then they start commiserating. Both realize that the Teagues are using them and not giving them all the same information. So they uh, agree to work together and, you know, throughout it, share daddy story, their daddy issue stories. So Dave, uh, Dave calls uh, Duke back and lets him know that, uh, you know, the box was commissioned by uh, Fitzwilliam uh, Crocker back in 1786 and uh, an ancestor of his, but it's one of a set. And the second one is a much, much bigger box. So like you said, they they figure out that the key is to the much, much bigger box. They got to find it. So they figure they'll go to the last boat uh, Simon Crocker owned to find it. Right. So they go looking around that boat. Uh, they share more. Dwight finds out he was allergic to bullets by going to Afghanistan. But on the boat, the owner is like, you asshole, this wasn't your dad's last boat. The last boat he had was Cape Rouge. Uh, they figure out he sold the Cape Rouge to the guy that Duke wanted from. So it was obviously intentionally meant to go to Duke. They go back to the Cape Rouge and he's looking around kind of a secret area. They find a barrel. They take out the barrel, open the barrel. It's got the big box, the big silver bo- crocker box. They open it. It's got all this crazy fucking weaponry, ninja stars, weird guns, daggers, documents, papers, maps, et cetera, et cetera. And that's when Audrey shows up. Audrey shows up and says, hey, I got to talk to you. You know, uh, for some reason, uh, your, uh, your your dad came to visit Lucy Ripley. And, you know, so we need to. And he's like, yeah, no way. My dad had this secret box of shit, too. And then uh, as they turn around, Dwight or Dwight tries to sneak off of the box. And Duke's like, I fucking knew it. They get in a fight over the box. Uh, Duke cuts him on the on the shoulder. Uh, 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 the blood touches his hand. And he absorbs it, absorbs and his eyes go completely white or like bluish white. Yeah, it's all, almost like the like the quickening in Highlander. But, right. Uh, and as Dwight tries to come at him, Duke palms him off the fucking boat. Uh, realizes he has gained some kind of superpower from the blood of the knife or whatever. Something's going on. Right, because uh, Dwight came at him swinging a, a crowbar at his head, and he, lightning quick, was able to not only stop that, but then palm, you know, palm punch him 30 feet out into the ocean. So it was pretty intense. Meanwhile, Dave and Vince uh, are at the Haven Herald. Th- that's where they're hosting the event for all the troubled people. Vince does not approve. But Dave's like, ah, oh, they needed a place. Da, 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 da. Nathan comes in, and uh, Vince is not cool with any of this, by the way. Dave, uh, Nathan comes in. Vince is like, I don't know, should you be here? And Nathan's like, fuck, fuck it. Like having faith and just going for it's working out for me so far. So let's just do this. Like I don't, I don't give a shit. Let's. let's well, well, yeah, he says fun. he he doesn't care what the people of the town think. He, you know, it's time to do what he thinks is right. You know, Dwight's not necessarily, you know, really happy with Vince either because Dwight shows up and he's not very happy with Vince for not telling him like the full story. You know, Vince is just like, well, that's a much longer conversation. So. 
Yeah. And then at the end, Audrey and Duke are talking about it and they find Simon's journal and find out that he. Oh, so so Simon uh, had a note on the last page and uh, it said, Duke, if you're reading this, I haven't survived. You are my son. You are my heir. It's up to you to finish my work. You must kill her. And then next to that, they have a picture of Lucy Ripley. Yeah. And Lucy's uh, Lucy. (laughs) Audrey's like. Why does he want to kill me? And that's where we end setting up the season finale next week. Well, I would imagine the questions implied. I'm sure Audrey isn't like, didn't read the note. It was like, yeah, it sounds all right. You can kill me <laughs> with no motivation. What did you give this episode out of 10 on the, on the ratings board? So I really like this episode, though, like usual, there are some things I do not like about it, but um I really like the way you know the way the tension was built amongst the two groups. I liked uh, Nathan getting off the fence, you know, saying, you know, he's I'm going to do what's right, and uh, and there was a lot of information about the past re- release that was really cool, and that kind of enhances and sets up multiple mysteries. And there were some issues that kept me from giving it a nine, so I give it an eight on the French meter, though I probably could be talked up to a nine, but eight is where I've settled. Yeah, I give it an eight. I think in a different episode, I was saying how I liked the story of the week, but I didn't like the overall story that they were doing. I can't remember which episode we said that on or I said that for, but this episode's the reverse where all the overall stuff is great, but the actual like kind of case of the week that they're trying to squeeze in there just did not do it for me. Uh, they should have just really cut that whole scene. I think they, I would have preferred they just cut that out and focus on the big, the big stuff. Yeah, the, the, the Stu Pierce stuff was, uh, you know, and, and then Patrick. Uh, yeah, it still really wasn't my problem. Was Patrick was just like, a, it was just not a good character. It was, it was just cheesy and just being like, I'm an asshole. Like, without the, the kind of charisma of the Rev, because the Rev's just being a flat out asshole all the time, but he has like, uh, you know, he does it with style. Patrick's just a dick. Well, yeah, the Rev chooses his words carefully, and he usually speaks intelligently. And uh, Patrick, for, for being a lawyer, he was just kind of a buffoon, uh, you know. Like, hey, I'm gonna go kidnap somebody, you know, in the sh- <laughs> in my shorts that shows my number from the marathon. Uh, but I'm a lawyer. Yeah, or you think you would hire someone to do that, right? <laughs> exactly, and, and then he would be there in the in in the the the, the fucking uh, warehouse burning him alive. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he's why just would he really do sick of these troubled people, man. It's time. It's time they just go away. He's, he's got to, you know, you got to do it yourself. You found something done right. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, he, <laughs> he didn't do much right. Yeah, he was an annoying character. I wasn't. Uh... What I would have preferred from Patrick is like for him to find out he's troubled, would I think be a perfect irony, right? Is at the end, he's like, oh no, shit. <laughs> like, so yeah, like, like yeah, he get, they like uh, put him in jail, and the stress of that, uh, you know, triggers him, and his trouble is released. Yeah, it's just like toxic farts or something. I was thinking the same thing, flatulence related. <laughs> I, I didn't know exactly what, but it was flatulence related because that's the type of guy that Patrick is. <laughs> a yeah. bag of wind. Uh, yes, and he breaks like the wind. Yeah. So. Uh, I like the episode. I give it an eight out of 10. Like I said, I like all the other stuff. Uh, it's exciting. We're finally getting some answers, some new developments. 
Uh, I know the Rev just died last episode, but I felt for like a while, like what you were saying is that we were saying about Nathan finally taking sides. Felt like we're, you know, it's volleyball, and you know the air. The we're waiting for a spike with the ball. We're kind of just setting ourselves up for a couple episodes, a couple uh, lobs up, but no, but we haven't spiked until now. Right. The uh, I mean, it's basically everyone has chosen chosen their side, uh, except for apparently Duke. Quite yet, he still seems to be on Duke's side, and I <laughs> bet you something happens with that during the finale, maybe. We'll see. This is the guy that you admitted last episode. You've already watched to the end. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to give away what happens in the season finale. Yeah, but now we know he chooses a side because you said, because of what you said. Look at you spoiling the episode. Well, or does he choose his own side? How do you know? I don't know. That's that's not some good. That's not good backpedaling. I don't know. Didn't convince me there. Anyway. <sighs> <laughs> It's like, in, uh, I know you don't play video games, but there's like, you know, options to do speech checks where you try to like lie to characters and then it fails and they like call you out on it. So what that moment was, you failed your speech check there. Oh, yeah. I didn't uh, know about <laughs> speech checks, but like in an yeah. RPG or something. Yeah, I don't. You know me. I don't. I, sports games and, you know, Texas Hold'em. That's about all I use my PS4 for. That's not redundant. PS4 for. Well, anyway, um, so this episode had two commentaries. Let's talk about those real quick. Uh, first commentary was Sean Piller and what was it what was Brian, the second guy? Brian Milliken. Yeah, Brian Milliken. Uh, let's talk about that one first. What did you think of the Sean Piller Brian Milliken commentary? For the most part, so Sean Piller also happened to be the director for this episode, yeah. and Brian Milliken has a long history with uh, Sean Piller, dating back to starting out with him and his dad, uh, his late father who also we've mentioned it before in previous episodes. Right. He was a writer's assistant for a long time and for Haven, they finally upgraded him to writing episodes. So for most, most of the commentary, it was really, really technical stuff about, you know, the camera shots and all of that. Cause uh, Pillar really enjoys that because he was producing and executive producing. So he's like fixing problems. And here he said, like, I I get to make my own problems to fix. And, uh, And, and they really spoke very well. And, I, you know, when I thought about it, some of the shots I, re- I really did like, you know, even though it seemed like Milliken was really complimenting him a lot on his uh, shots <laughs> and his directing and, uh, you know, how he, uh, you know, got, you know, certain characters, uh, certain yeah, characters, that, how, the way he wanted them acted and, uh, you know, and he, he Milliken complimented him that. And I'm like, well, I've got, you know, you know, you've already heard my concerns, you know, Patrick, but I have some concerns also about some of the other acting. But. Right. Yeah. I thought Milliken was a bit um, fluffy where I was like, yeah, I can tell this guy's been an assistant for a long time because he, uh, you know, he's just once again for volleyball, he's just setting up. It's like he, the whole commentary is basically him setting up Pillar to, you know, have hit whatever he wants to talk about. Milliken's just setting him up for that. He doesn't really have input of his own, where it's like, it would be nice to hear from the writer's room what they're doing, what their thoughts are on these things. But we don't really get that. We just get uh, him basically being like, oh, like, oh, that is a good shot, Pillar. Like, what did you like? Da, 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 da. And then Pillar, like, oh, and you know, go on and on and on about it. But I thought Pillar, like you said, well-spoken. I thought he was very, in the past, some of his commentaries have been like too rowdy, too kind of partying for me, like not focused on 
the subject. And now on this one, because I think there's less people here that he's able to kind of focus more and talk about more. And one, like you said, it was more technical, but at least it was more focused on stuff maybe, you know, people might be interested in. Right. And I think, you know, what, you know, what that might be from is because uh, he directed this episode. So right. it kind of came clear to me that, man, he really loves directing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, yeah, he loved directing. So he, he was, you know, and like you said, Milliken was kind of like just lobbing them up to him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Pillar would spike them. I mean, it's not a bad commentary. It's just you really don't gain any like too much insight into you know the 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 lore or anything or the, the mythology yeah so. it's definitely a commentary for people who like are more interested in the process of like filmmaking than necessarily the show haven so like for you i'm sure you didn't get as much as probably i did like from hearing some of the stuff in his like technique i'm like oh, okay like stuff that i would get out of the commentary uh his whole explanation on motion how he wants it to look like a feature so one thing he talks about is if you guys notice in this episode that the camera is constantly like moving, actually, you pay attention to the shots. Uh, there's there's very few like static shots, whereas in other episodes, it's uh, they can tend to be more static. Static meaning, right, doesn't move, stays on the tripod, whereas he's more on dollies and sliders and sliders on dollies, right? Right, and he talks a lot about how, hey, we chose this location, so I had we shot these two scenes there, and you know, and, and a lot of that, and how he picked locations, talked about, uh, you know, some of the actors that, you know, he's like, well, I directed, so I didn't get to choose them, but basically then says, yeah, I chose them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember so. he chose that that one lady who they thought about giving her. Uh, Evie's uh, role. Evie's role. Yeah, Stu Pierce's wife, the actress, was one of the final three for evie but they ended up not going with her so they brought her back right which is you know typically you do that when you're like at the end of the casting process you're like oh, i really like this person not for that role but i really want them around you know they usually find a way in something smaller uh, yeah and uh and you know i thought annie was fine uh well, yeah. uh, that colleen was Stu pierce's wife sorry yeah. i thought colleen was fine but but I, I don't I just can't see her being better at, at Evie than Evie. That's know. what I was thinking. I was like, yeah, I don't, I can't see her as Evie, but like, you know, I don't have a problem with her acting, but, uh, yeah, I thought she acted fine. What's the yeah. actress that plays evidence? Ryan, Vanessa Antoine. So I don't think she did a good, good, as good of a job as Vanessa Antoine, but she was still good. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Well, and is that, you have any more from uh, pillar and Milliken's commentary? Yeah, just that I think um, <laughs> Pillars, uh, just to talk about like the technical stuff with his, like the idea that motion equals cinematic, which I won't disagree with him because the episode did feel, I think one of the things that made the episode even more engaging than it normally is, is, is it does feel more, it just feels more energetic and that's because of the movement. I will say that I think he does it maybe a bit too much you pay attention to the to the movement to the motion the camera's motion and there's it's almost always moving and i think towards the end the conversation between audrey and nathan is where it was kind of catching my eye particularly was that there was too much where it was sliding the camera slides were too many you could tell he's just doing them to do them rather than them being inspired like moves that are intentionally placed right so like a famous film director that is really famous for doing stuff like this is Alfonso uh, Alfonso Cuaron. He does uh, he did Children of Men, 
Oh, that's that's one of my favorites. He did Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Gravity, Roma. Uh, so he's got a pretty top tier pedigree. He's considered one of the best in the biz right now. Gravity, that's the uh, Sandra Bullock, George Sandra, Clooney one. George. Uh, uh. Right. So not much of a story, but it's uh, 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 the cinematography. You know, or like the you know whatever the the the, the shots. I, I did like that a lot. You know, right. Now, yeah, some of the acting and story. Yeah. So anyway, he he has like a philosophy where he likes a lot of like motion, right? So if you actually watch for those like listening, if you actually go back and watch Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, uh I think it's something like almost every single shot used in the film is in motion. There's I think there might be one, maybe two, but there's almost no shot that's static. And it might but if I might be misremembering, it might be every single shot's in motion. But He's kind of a cinematic genius that knows how to make these moves inspired and how to create more emotion. He, you know, how to manipulate the audience by doing certain moves that cause certain emotions, right? Like it's, it's all purposed. Whereas like here, I think sometimes. Uh, it was forced. Not forced, but just knowing the philosophy of like, oh, motion means more engaging means better without understanding why it means better. Right. It's kind of like, Zack Snyder working on Watchmen where he knows that the story is really good, but he doesn't know why the story is really good. He doesn't know why the characters work and why, like what the theme even is Uh, or kind of Michael Bay on stuff, right? Michael Bay knows that these shots are effective at emotion. He's not sure what the result is, but he knows it does something. So he just pumps lots of these certain things that he knows have results without understanding what okay, they're doing yeah, per se. Yeah, because yeah, he just knows everybody's gonna love seeing Cuba Gooding Jr. on like a <laughs> you know machine gun, you know, just firing away. That's that, it. what do you mean? Everyone did. That's the best part of the movie of Pearl Harbor. It, how, I guess how, it turns how, to how, shit. <laughs> how sad is it that that is? <laughs> it turns to shit when it's focusing on the other guys. Um <laughs> yeah. he's literally the only thing, you know, for, worth watching in that movie. There's a second Team America reference here with uh the that I'm I miss you like it's the I miss you song when Gary's riding around his motorcycle and he has like, there's a line that's like, I miss you more than uh, Cuba needed a bigger part. Yeah. I think they make a couple references to Pearl Harbor in just that song. Oh yeah. I think yeah. he says like Ben Affleck sucks and I miss you is like <laughs> yeah. one of the lines. Oh <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, team America. We're, 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 we're bringing, bringing it all to you. you know? <laughs> it, it, I like yeah. that. That's, I like that. It's a punchline to this. Like, Alfonso Cuaron discussion is like, and anyway, at the end of it all, Team America is like what we really mean to talk about. <laughs> right. Well, it, if you haven't seen Team America, you know, I recommend it. It's not for the kids. The humor's very gross. So you, know, you showed it to me as a kid. I think that was your mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we that, digress, that, but it was hilarious. Yeah. That's all I really had. Like, uh, Oh yeah. Also, I it does kind of feel like Pillar saved all the best parts of Haven for his episode. You kind of feel that, like he's like, oh, this is the first real fight scene we have for my episode. Audrey and Nathan get to kiss for my episode. Uh, right. It kind of feels like you know, oh, we're gonna reveal the Crocker family thing in my episode. Well, and that's what he's like. Well, he's like, well, yeah, fight scenes, you know, take a lot of time and, and they're kind of expensive. <laughs> but my episode, yeah, get some other throw out don't. the budget, blow it out. Yeah. So I was kind of so. like, huh, I wonder if like season two, you know, were we, were we saving stuff for the end here? And we'll talk more about that 
once we finish the season, uh, just for a sneak peek, kind of what we did last time was we finished the finale and then discussed the season overall in the same episode. This season, what we're going to do for you is we're going to just, we're going to do, you know, finish the finale, the Christmas special, and then do an episode on season two overall and special features from the Blu-ray in that episode. So you have it more, you know, it's not as some gigantic unwieldy episode. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to get to the special features. I haven't yet. I want to hear more uh, Stephen King lore, like, uh, you know, uh, the Shawshank uh, knapsack, <laughs> the that you know, duffel bag that they mentioned like five times. Yeah. Did well, the speak, pop-up video. Speaking of loving King references, the second commentary was uh, done by Adam Copeland, a.k.a. Edge, a.k.a. Dwight Hendrickson, and Excuse Lloyd me, Seaton. Uh, WWE Superstar oh, I'm sorry, Edge. WWE Superstar Edge. Uh, a.k.a. Dwight Hendrickson and Lloyd Segan. So they do the second commentary. Uh, really not much to report on this one. It's basically Segan interviewing Copeland. He ba- he literally doesn't say any. I think the only thing he does is he compliments Stu's wife. What was her name again? Uh, Annie. Was it Annie? I thought. It was oh, no, uh, that's Colleen. No, like, Annie is Barry's wife. Yeah, <laughs> it's t- two times in a row. Unbelievable. Uh, so Colleen. Uh, he basically just compliments her and was like, oh, yeah, she was really great. We really wanted to get her in. But other than that, he is just once again lobbing things for. But this one's even more direct. Uh, last time it was just like you if you paid attention, you're like, hey, wait a minute. This guy's said this one. Segan literally only asks questions and Adam answers them. And, uh, you know, it, it makes Adam Copeland seem like a really cool guy to like hang out with and seem like a nice guy, like thoughtful. Uh, seems like he's not a diva at all. Uh, yeah, no, he, yeah, I remember well, like one part he's like, you know, he, he's like, I told people, Hey, if, you know, if I'm doing something wrong, don't be afraid to to correct me. And he's like, but in reality, it was mostly people just, uh, you know, giving me support and complimenting me. And he was, sounds like he'd be a really cool guy to be a friend with. And yeah. And he also but, mentions, he also mentions, don't say what I think you're going to say. Uh, he also mentions how, you know, when he did WWE stuff, he would have to, you know, do his own costume, do his own hair. If like whatever he had to do, he had to do for himself. And on film sets, that's in TV sets, that's not the case. Like for uh, actors, you know, you call them like talent and first team and, you know, they get treated very differently than everybody else. Right. He gets his own makeup person. You know, he gets a makeup person, a hair person, you know, he has his own designated area to hang out. There's somebody has to follow him with an umbrella. If it's raining, somebody has to bring a jacket to him. If it's cold, uh, people are putting in special orders for his food and bringing it at separate times and everybody else, you know, so you really get even on, you know, smaller TV shows, you're getting treated very, very differently than you would in WWE is what it sounds like. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you like to go see, I mean, Segan asked him uh, things like, well, what'd you like to do in your off time there, which was fine. And, uh, you know, he used to do a lot of sea kayaking and finding islands and picking up like driftwood and collecting it. I thought that was kind of cool. And neat. Yeah, but otherwise, not much on that commentary. They're kind of just talking about Adam Copeland as a person, not even too much on the show. Right. It would be my recommendation that, you know, unless you really cared about, you know, learning a little bit more about uh, Adam Copeland or, you know, the, really the technical stuff and behind, I, I probably wouldn't recommend watching the commentaries. They're not, like I said, they're not bad, but it's, you know, it just depends what you want to know. I wouldn't want you to, waste it waste your time 
I mean, you guys are all casual fans of Haven, right? Like none of you really like the show. If you listen to a podcast about this, right? <laughs> no, because if they were really engaged, they enjoy they would join Patreon. But <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, we take everyone, everyone, every every listen we can get. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to get my uh, my my cat to listen when I'm not home. But <laughs> all right, so no. things about the let's talk about the episode itself, not just the commentary now. Um, quick question. Did you notice in one of the aerial shots that the lighthouse was under construction? I did not catch that. Um, yeah, I don't know what was going it. on with it, but there was a bunch of equipment like, uh, what do you call them? Um, like cranes and scaffolding? Scaffolding, that's what I'm looking for. There was like scaffolding around it and something. I was almost wondering if it was like from the film crew that they were doing something, to, like the painters were working on it or something, and they just they were like, fuck it. We didn't have enough time. But you would think they would use like an archived shot, so it must have been intentional that it was being worked on. Yeah, I, I I'll be honest, I I, I didn't uh, I didn't catch that. Speaking I'm not going to rewatch it again because I've watched this one like six times. So, I... <laughs> speaking of things we didn't catch, let's talk about the Crocker box. Oh, the the Crocker box. So of course. Uh, Duke is going through Evie's things, you know, and I, and I kind of enjoyed that that scene. Like he's on the phone with scene. Evie's mom, and she's like, she wants like, uh, she wants a freaking, uh, basically an inventory of all of Evie's stuff. And he's like, geez, you know, I, I so enjoy, <laughs> he's like, I so enjoy your grief. But they get the box, and she's got the note in there, and I myself do not recall at any point them actually selling the box. I know they went to talk to Beverly. And she said she could, you know, you know, it is, it's pro, it is valuable. It's just finding the right buyer for it and that she could help with that. But I don't remember them ever actually sell, selling the box. I know she did. And uh, she mentioned many times about selling the box and, you know, you know, staying, you know, going to Mexico and living in Mexico for a year on it. But yeah. I don't living recall. forever in Mexico on it. I thought is what they. Oh no no she or did she say a limited time? I, I, thought, I can't I thought remember. It was run away to Mexico with her. But it was because yeah, and they could get a small villa, uh, like a villa, and live there, you know, forever type thing. But because yeah, yeah, there is I, there is no literal scene where like here's twenty five bucks or you know whatever the box would go for. But I think it was implied that Duke was to me. I thought before it was implied that Duke kind of let go of the box and was like, all right, whatever. Like, so you can kind of take like, so when it said it sold, I wasn't like, I was like, oh, I must have missed that part. But it made sense to me that like they had sold it. Whereas you took, uh, is Umbridge? The- I took Umbridge with it. But, <laughs> you know, let's not gloss over. Let's not gloss over that, you know, if they sell it for 25 bucks and they can live forever in Mexico, you're basically saying it's like living in Bratislava in Euro Trip. Uh, yeah, <laughs> where he, I mean, they tip a nickel and uh, and the waiter slaps his guy <laughs> and his boss, and I start my own hotel. So. Yeah, <laughs> but but I did take umbrage with it because through my memory and all of you know as many times as I watched the episodes, Duke didn't want to sell the box. He wanted the information and the story behind it. Now, the one way, you know, and so I've given myself homework. I'm going to rewatch some scenes just, you know, just because I took umbrage with it. That's just, that's how much I care about the integrity of this podcast. 
And uh, but nonetheless, you know, so I'm gonna rewatch some scenes for that. Now, if you if you tell me Evie took it without his knowledge and sold it, yeah, but I'd like some like some hint of that earlier. Yeah, because but he wasn't surprised, you know, he wasn't like, What the hell? Like, you know, like you know, he didn't really know it was like she sold it. Like, you know, there was no like implication that it had been sold under his nose. I like I said, once again. I know he wanted to know the story behind it, but I had felt in that moment he had kind of let go of that box holding any kind of answer for him. You know, I, I think I got to uh, reverse myself here, actually. <laughs> Play the reverse Uno card? Yeah, I, I, I think I think so. I, as much <laughs> as someone on this podcast would draw card upon card till he got uh, draw fours and other cards. Mutually assured destruction. I learned from the Cold War, okay? Yeah you, yeah, you did the same thing in Sori. You would just keep collecting cards till you could get the Sori card because it was a game of sweet revenge. But nonetheless, um, I know when I think think about it, you know, the fact the fact that he says, uh, you know, she bought it back means he knew it was gone. And yeah, so there's still a chance she could have sold it without his blessing. And I would contend that would be the only way. And I wouldn't be surprised if like during Roots, there was supposed to be a final scene of Duke with Beverly being like, all right, here you go. Like whatever, you know, that got <laughs> cut for time purposes or something. Yeah. Here, here's the $25. Yeah. Uh, 25 and Bratislava. And here's yeah. a bunch of my McDonald's monopoly pieces or something. You know? yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Cause uh, everyone wants the thimble. Yeah, the the like collectibles to win the prizes. Another recommendation for us: you should watch McMillions on HBO. It's a pretty funny, enterta- uh, entertaining documentary. You know, when I was a kid, I was so poor that I'd walk around the McDonald's parking lot just picking up the game pieces people littered and seeing if someone made a mistake and I won an Atari. But no, it never happened. I think I did get a shake once out of that, but yeah. probably could have got hepatitis. But you know, the neighborhood <laughs> I was tetanus. For. Statness definitely. So, um, I, yeah. Oh, what were you gonna say? No, I was. Uh, I was gonna ask. You know what you thought about Nathan's excessive sweating in the tent at the beginning? <laughs> well, I don't. I just understand in the commentary for for. Uh, Edge, I mean, Adam commentary. Copeland. He's like, I sweat my ass off and I had to keep changing me shirts. I was like, so what was the creative decision that like only Nathan could be sweating really fucking hard? Like, I it's fine. He's sweating really hard. It's fine. It's got a little fu- funny little thing, right? He can't feel that he's sweating right. that hard. I mean, but, but then but, Edge can't be sweaty too. Like, no, because he 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 doesn't look sweaty. Audrey definitely doesn't look sweaty. Yeah. And then uh, you know, so it's kind of weirdly in- just Nathan. It was like, what the fuck? Uh, okay, so in uh, in Maine. The average high in June is 76 degrees with a record high of 93. That's their all-time record is 93 in the month of June in Maine. Let's factor in. In July, July, average high is 81, record of 96. August, average high of 80, record of 95, because it looks like summer, because it's always summer in Haven or fall. Until this Christmas episode. Until this Christmas episode. But anyway, I will factor in humidity. How humid does it get up there? I bet it gets uh, pretty humid. Humid. Well, I mean, it? you you are on the ocean, so I just yeah. yeah. I, I just I just didn't buy you know. And but then in in uh, the commentary with Adam Copeland, see, you got me calling him Edge now. But Edge, uh, just call him Edge Copeland. <laughs> we'll compromise. 
Uh, okay. So in Edge Copeland's commentary, he was talking about how hot it was in Nova Scotia. And I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I just read you the temperatures for Maine. Wouldn't Nova Scotia be a co- little cooler than Maine? You know? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So um, I, I'm not going to argue with him if he, you know, it, you know, if Edge Copeland says, you know, it's really hot. It's really hot. I mean, the good news is he, at the time, wouldn't have been able to beat your ass because he had a neck injury, which is why he retired from WWE, which also they were nervous about the fight scene, right? Where they were like, oh. But the fight scene was pretty good, I thought. I liked the fight scene. I, I mean, as as fight scenes go. Yeah, yeah sure. I mean, it, it's not it's not like a feature film. You know, it's not like uh, it's not like Avengers or anything. But uh, for a TV show, you know, where you're shooting an episode every seven days, I was like, this is a pretty good fight scene. It looks... You know, some fight scenes are too over choreographed. This looked like just two guys kind of grabbing each other, which is if you've ever seen a fight in real life, it's not like, uh, you know, it's nothing like glamorous. It's just guys like rolling on the ground, holding each other, holding, rolling, you know, yeah. trying to get a punch in when they can, you know, maybe, maybe get an, an elbow. Knee there. Yeah. yeah. So kind of speaking of that, do you think Duke could hold his own in a fight with Dwight? <laughs> Well, he used a bottle. Um, otherwise, no. I mean, he's a pretty, he's a tall guy. Like, he looks pretty tall. Yeah, he's tall. I'm sure he could, you know, take care of me easily enough. But, uh, you know, he's taller. So and that's a low bar, fitter, though, you know. But, yeah, that is about as low as the <laughs> bar can go. It's not on the ground. It's in the ground. Yeah. But, you know, I kind of like them t- uh, tag teaming together, though. And that's kind of how oh, yeah. I thought of them. Uh, they they could be a they could be a tag team. You know. And, All right, uh, Eric is six two. I feel like uh, it says Lucas Bryan is six two as well. I, does he look? Does Lucas Bryan look six two on the show? They look taller just because uh, Audrey, uh, Emily Rose is so short. She's five four. Okay, well it's not super short, but but uh, Lucas Bryan being six two. I don't know. I'm just not buying it. He's gonna have to come on this show, get in a Zoom call with us, and you know, right. and you know, do the sharpie on the corner of the wall thing. You know, show us, show us that he's six <laughs> two. It, it's it, it's kind of like in in basketball when players uh, you know come out and uh, to the MB the draft and they're like, you know, they're like five ten, but they say they're like like six two. You know, well, they, they've corrected everything now. Just so you know, they went through and remeasured everybody with shoes off recently. I think two years ago. So the heights are now accurate, finally. Really? I didn't even realize that. That is uh, fascinating information. Yeah, everybody's heights got re... <laughs> Some people lost an inch or two and gained an inch, you know, because of the incorrect measurements. Or guys who have grown since they came in when they were like 19 and stuff. That is that is incredible. So, you know, I struggled. I couldn't come up with a, with, you know, with a good nickname for them at, at, as, a, you know, a wrestling duel. But I thought uh, Duke kind of his persona he could be the hipster and he'd hipster. like like yeah and he'd be like hit people with like vinyl albums and shit you know wow <laughs> pour pour craft beer on them after he does his finishing move you know the douche or whatever it's called yeah so, <laughs> i don't know i don't know if you thought of any you know and i kind of like uh, you know edge copeland's character you know dwight could be sasquatch <laughs> i like that Yes, and then probably that could lead into a lucrative uh, marketing deal with Jack Links. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe Duke is you know because he's so cool. He's the Yeti, you know. So Sasquatch and the Yeti, 
Oh, okay. And they'll be uh, cryptids. Will be their wrestling name. It could be the Wendigos. Yeah. The who, what, where, Wendigos. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, at the ten at the beginning, also that lady, pretty disappointing scream uh, when the guy mummified. I was kind of, I was, I was like, oh, here we go. You know, she's gonna charge up the lungs and really, you know, let it, you know, be a scream queen. And she, you know, it was a little disappointing. It was kind of a help. I just wanted more, you know, I wanted to un- unload like that guy on the boat when he found the skull, that dude fucking flipped out. That guy was screaming. That guy lost. It looked like he lost his mind seeing that skull. I wanted that from the lady who saw a guy mummified, but she was kind of a, it was a more rational, like, Oh, help. Well, it's like, what's, <laughs> I would, I would have loved to see another medic coming and splashing some water on the mummy's face, you know, hoping <laughs> that would wake him up or something or just, just apply CPR. Just not yeah, uh, yeah, apply CPR and then like just go straight through the chest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean that's what Nathan was gonna do when Duke was like a hundred years old. He was gonna break his ribs on those stairs. Yeah, if he didn't trip on the Fu Manchu uh, mustache there first, you know. But uh, speaking of that, I, you know, I th- I didn't think that I thought the dehydration and death, uh, you know, special effects weren't too shabby. It, it looks I've oh, seen yeah. them do a lot worse. I thought uh, I thought that was pretty good. I, well, I think we figured out the answer, right? Is that all the money? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sean yeah. Pillar was like, "Yeah, not in the budget, not in the budget." And they're like, "Huh, sir, we've got looks like fifty percent of the season's budget saved for uh, the second to last episode." Yeah, yeah, that's that's how every TV show does it. I mean, you guys, uh, you guys never knew that. Yeah, yeah. Tell uh, them it's a it's a two part finale. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, that's the one I'm directing. It's just coincidence. Yeah, so yeah. definitely, definitely like the fight looked good, right? Which you got to bring in stunt people and stunt coordinators and safety coordinators, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot more expensive uh, to do that. Although Edge's stunt double, we found out, really didn't look the part. So he had to risk doing it with his uh, fucked up neck. Uh, the palming at the end looked pretty good, I thought, when he went flying into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that, looked, that looked pretty good. And the mummy, the funny part was he's like, yeah, we transferred it to a dummy. And I was like, yeah, I can tell it's a dummy. But the actual, mm-hmm. like, transforming uh, looked pretty good of the dehydration. And there was a running in fire. You know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, stunty stuff in this. A lot of special effects, a lot of visual effects, stuff like that. Yeah, it was the, it was the Haven action episode. That's right. Yeah, this is where we should have put our action figures, right? Yeah, <laughs> gonna make yeah. a stew action figure with sweat abilities. You know, you fill them with water and squeeze them, and sweat comes out. <laughs> yeah, it shoots shoots a little water at you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't I don't know what Barry's trouble is, but yeah. See, Maybe. you know, oh, you know what would have been a good trouble for Patrick is if Patrick uh, was the one causing the record high temps. What if it hmm. was like his anger at the troubled people is causing the temperature to rise? I think that would have been some good irony. Yeah, that would explain the excess of sweating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that would have been, yeah, because like I said, I wanted Patrick to, it also just kind of felt like it ended. And once it finished, you were like, I forgot completely that that stuff happened because the other stuff is so like Titanic compared to it that you're like, yeah, 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 get the, let's get this guy the fuck off the screen. Let's get to the good stuff. Cause the rest of the stuff is awesome. Like Duke and Duke and uh, Duke and Dwight stuff. I loved, Uh, I loved their, Someone getting some more background on Dwight was awesome, and his dad. Those are like good scenes. Well, yeah. And uh, d- do you wonder if it'll come back to haunt uh, haunt Dwight that he uh, let Duke know his uh, his trouble is bullets are uh, att- attracted to him. I'm pretty so. sure telling anyone should haunt him. 
That's one you mm-hmm. should never tell anyone. Yeah, you try to keep that one secret. You know, you you can always trust Nathan, though. <laughs> I mean, uh, I feel like now he's more empowered because he's like, oh, man, Audrey just made out with me because I went out on a limb. He's going to start doing more risky stuff, you know? He's going to be like, oh, I can shoot this gun around to white and it'll be like, okay, if I just, you know, let's just do it. Let's just go for I'll, it. I'll tell him to duck. <laughs> what if, what if, what if, you know, what if, uh, what if Nathan just starts getting super risky and wild? Cause he's just like, yeah, it's the power of love. That's what I like to imagine is that he's getting wildly reckless. Now starts driving a motorcycle, starts shaving with the, what kind you know, what razor that straight, that, uh, straight, uh, straight yeah. edge, yeah, <laughs> straight edge laser. shaving with a straight, straight edge blade. razor, even though he can't feel it. He's just living <laughs> on the edge now. <laughs> yeah. I got a feeling that'll end up like in dumb and dumber when they're, when they're shaving Jim Carrey's character, uh, Lloyd Christmas. And, uh, yeah, but it won't, it won't be ketchup this time. No. Now, since here's a, so kind of back to the commentary since remember that old other commentary we listened to with Lloyd Segan and Emily Rose and he, they were some reference that, you know, he taught her how to act. A bit. Yeah. He said, aren't you glad you came to my acting class? Yeah. Which we couldn't tell if that was a joke or not. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I still uh, don't know. Well, but, but I think there must be something to it because here he is like showcasing an actor, right? Here comes, you know, here comes Adam Copeland who hasn't acted before he's talked and here's Lloyd Segan kind of walking him through the stuff, asking him these questions. It almost did. Could you, I feel like I could construe it as mentor and mentee relationship of like, maybe Lloyd Segan is this like, you know, he's a producer or whatever. But he's also like this actor, you know, this acting coach as well, like considering the kind of, you know, they only pair him up with another actor. He's not paired up with like directors, writers, other producers yeah because is this only the second one he's done right yeah so yeah. i wonder if there's something to that that he yeah. is the person who kind of hangs you know does a lot of work with the actors i don't know but this maybe you know it puts us a step further in that direction i think of that he wasn't that wasn't some weird joke that he made <laughs> the segan academy for exceptional boys and girls actors I feel like I would never go to a school that has boys and girls in the title. Like there's always a pedophile, a monster or uh, yeah. some rich kid asshole that'll fuck up your, your kid's life. Yeah. It's not gonna, uh, yeah, it's not gonna end well for you. You know, you always send your kids to underfunded public schools. That's what I say. Um <laughs> He's, he's blaming me, but no, yeah. no, no. That's where you learn. I probably the- sent, him, sent him to the best high school in the district. It's where you learn the best life lessons. Anyway. If you don't have a pregnancy study hall, (laughs) you ain't at the right school. Those are things you're going to encounter in real life. All right. So here's, so let's talk about the Vincent Dave stuff. Cause that was pretty big, right? Yeah. We finally got a peek behind the curtain as as to what was going on. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, Dave seems hell bent on, uh, you know, like flushing all the trouble shit you know, out into the open and, you know, Duke, you know, finding out, you know, what his family background and, and potential destiny is. And then Vince, you know, you know, upset thinks they're starting a war, but then he's like, uh, you know, and then at the end at the, you know, the, the, I call it a meeting, but you know, you're probably right. It is more like a party, a soiree, if you will, a soiree, if you will, candle wax. Nah, I forget it, but, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Vince, 
is like you're you're trying to start a war and I'll have no part of it. So that he sounded, says that, that sounded more like your Dave voice. Yeah. Well, I haven't perfected tough Vince yet. I, it's, I have, t- it's tough. It's tough. But uh, Vince, but then he said, Vince says, you know, you know, why are you doing this? We're not troubled. So, yeah. Well, so and, the question I had was that um, if the person Vince is calling is Dwight, you're, you know, who's obviously his side in this like invisible war is pretty transparent. Uh what side he's been working with is the troubled people. So if Vince is calling him and working with him. That would put us at the idea that Vince is working with the troubled folk, which then right. what's and if they're op- opposed, that would then put Dave in a anti troubled folk position is what it seems like. Yeah. It'd be like, so he's against the troubled is what is that? That's kind of looks how they're setting this up. Right. And, but then, and if but they're then hosting the party, do you th- uh, I mean, I guess I understand that like maybe he's stirring up the shit, you know, by like letting them have their party there. Uh, <laughs> it's not a party, but I'm going to keep calling it that, that they can keep having their party there knowing that the rest of the town's going to get pissed off and war is going to be insane. Yeah. It's a, it's a Teague's dance party. Yeah. You yeah. know, I'm sure we just didn't see the DJ they had in the corner. You know? I mean, Dave's got the ladies to bring to the party. Dave's yeah. like, it's all a setup. Vince is like, you're trying to incite a war. And Dave's like, no, I'm just trying to get the women, you know, the workers, uh, some new clientele. So, you know, the guys get drunk here at the party. You know what happens. <laughs> yeah, we got DJ Trouble Trouble spinning the hottest hits in Canada from the probably late, late 90s. <laughs> But and, you no. know, you got all the party supplies at Target. Of course. Develop some film. Probably he took of one of his <laughs> ladies' pictures of her with, a, you know, one of the selectmen. So that he oh, he's got keeps blackmail in his pocket. now. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. David, you know, Teddy's, Teddy, Teddy the Sticks got to watch out because Dave's, his empire is growing. <laughs> now I like to imagine to cross over that Teddy the Stick is played by Stephen King uh, since oh, he was yeah, Teddy in the great. stand. So do you like the way Dave and Vince are now opposing each other? Or did you like them more when like they were kind of partners doing stuff, but now they are against each other? Do you like this new development? Uh, I, I'm fascinated by it. And I think it could be very, very interesting, you know, depending how it's, how it's done. So I, I, I like it. I mean, we love the fun uh, bumbling uh, brothers riding the tandem bike, you know. Which came and, back this episode. Yeah, which, uh, I'm very appreciative. But, uh, you know, things, things keep heading down this road. They might have to break out a saw and cut it in half. <laughs> Just have unicycles. Yeah. So I'm excited for it, but I, I in you know, I, I just get nervous that if it's not handled properly, but uh, you know, I, I want to find, figure out what's going on. Like I said, we, you know, threw out some ideas like, you know, Dave is Dave, you know, against the troubled and Vince is for the troubled. I, I want to see how that all plays out though. I would be you know, kind of like civil war, brother fighting brother. Yeah, I mean, it's going to bring more drama, so I'm always cool with that. I was talking about Dave being anti-trouble. I feel like, I don't know, it's going to take Dave into territory. Can we ever forgive him? Yeah, I don't uh, don't know that. It's just, 
you know, maybe there's some other angle he's he's playing at, but, you know, it's just kind of how they make it appear on the surface. That could be, you know, just kind of a red herring, you know, the surprises and, and, you know, get us excited for season three. Yeah. Alex, did you catch any King reference in this episode? No. What were they? So Nathan wanted to keep, you know, this quiet. So he had Dwight oh. send the, you know, have the autopsy done by the coroner in Cleves Mills. You're right, right, right. Um, which is where the dead zone takes place, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's where old Johnny lives. Yeah. So that was a pretty cool little little shout out to that, which was not mentioned on either commentary. And that's the type of thing I would like on commentary. Oh, no, no, no. Edge mentioned that he he was talking about, like, there's a King reference and that he was a fan of, of the King references that the show does. And Milliken actually did mention that he uh, is one of the people that, like, is the one trying to squeeze in King references here and there. Uh, and has oh. to be the one in charge of keeping track of it. So it's actually mentioned on both of them. Well, okay, so <laughs> I, I did. I, I think I mentioned that I only watched them halfway through because I didn't find them very beneficial. But no, I don't think I mentioned that. Well, there's the truth. <laughs> Dear constant listener, uh, I only watched half of each commentary. See, we used to ride a tandem bicycle together, but now he'll only listen to half a commentary and I'll, I'll watch the full thing. Right. You missed a commentary earlier in the season, too. I did. I forgot which episode I, I, it was, but. It was one of those episodes, though, where I just don't know if I could have sat through the commentary because I hated the episode. It was horrible. <laughs> this draws a new because this is it's the same place in the TV show Dead Zone, uh, not just the novel. So that means that these take place in the same universe. Yeah, that's what it, you would think. That's what it what it what it means. So. It, it would be awesome if in the future they have a, a crossover with Johnny. Yeah. I mean, they don't, but they don't. Yeah. They don't. <laughs> but that'd be pretty cool. That might be, you know, they're, they're, you know, that might be a Patreon episode. I don't know. Ooh. Dead Zone Part Two. We already did Dead Zone covering the book, uh, movie. I'm sorry, not the book, the movie and TV, the pot, TV pilot for the show, but there might have to be a, a sequel. A, uh, a follow-up, a Dead Zone Part Two. Well, you've you know you've seen Law and Order crossover with Law and Order S SUV or <laughs> SVU SUV. <laughs> Shit, the older I get, the more I'm becoming yeah, my mother. Law and Order BMX. Uh... <laughs> you know, uh, shout out to the late DMX. By the way, <laughs> shout out up in here. But, but uh, nonetheless, yeah, I think that would be a really good, a really cool idea to do, uh, you know, a crossover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crossover know. between Dead Zone and Haven. I mean, they've got the, they've now, you know, we got the teams, get the teams, you know, work together to solve some trouble, some trouble crime. And they think Johnny's thing might be a trouble, but maybe it's not. Some good stuff there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's not uh, divulge any more details. Yeah. <laughs> This stuff is gold, and uh, they might want us to actually uh, do this as a show. We'll reach out to Pillar and be like, hey, let's cross them over. Let's get the gang back together. So a couple other things that I, I liked, uh, you know, uh, they were originally having a meeting at a, you know, a place called Finnegan's. You know, I got a dive bar named Finnegan's, uh, right, you know, not too far away from me. 
As I'm sure most cities, major cities probably have a Finnegan's, probably an Irish bar named Finnegan's somewhere nearby. Yes. So, you know, I'm sure there's Finnegan's two, Finnegan's three, but yeah, it's uh, just, just made me uh, feel uh, a little little, closer to Haven, a little closer away from San Antonio, Texas. Yes. uh, It's almost like different worlds. Uh, And then I could see Duke having an iguana. Yeah. Yeah. From all his worldly travels. So I know. Not in the outback. Did, did you notice kidding. the iguana in, in earlier episodes? Uh, no, but they kind of take odd angles of the Cape Rouge interior, you know? So a lot of the time, I think this is the episode where this is one of the episodes where I got like a better perspective of what the room looks like. They didn't do a lot of wides of it. So sometimes I would have a hard time understanding the space and the geography of the room. And I feel like this is one of the mm-hmm. few times where I actually kind of understood the space better. Oh yeah, so it's and, probably like little corners, you know. There's little corners that we haven't seen yet, you know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that, you know. It, you know, it's ridiculous. I think it's perfectly fine, because. But I think it's a clever way to introduce a, a way to read the the the, the, the oh, top yeah. of the box. Yeah, it'd so be I stupid thought, if she was just like, yeah, use your black light. And he's got one in his drawer. He's like, oh, let me use the. Oh, you know, it's nice that it's uh in the setting. How do you, you know, how do you know that's not his hobby? He likes to go check out hotels with black lines. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they cut out that motel scene from the Charles Die episode, right? Where he was like, yeah, originally the Duke and Nathan were going to spend a night in the motel together. And after he's, they saw the scene, they're like, ah, Charles, no, 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 no. I don't think we can have Duke running around with the black light in there. <laughs> and identifying bad spots and then trying to get Nathan to sit in them and, uh, or lick them. Um, oh, oh. <laughs> it's like uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy, Star Lord warns them not to go over the place of the black light because it looked like a Jackson Pollock painting. Oh, that's good <laughs> stuff right there. <laughs> uh, so Duke finds, you know, finally finds this barrel, you know, like like somewhere in like the hole there. I don't know if it's in like some water, what it's in water, how, what, what. Do you buy that Duke could have been living on the Cape Rouge for what's got to be 10 years, uh, at least 10 years, and not find that barrel with the box in it? I mean, was it 10 years that he had? One, yes, I thought the same thing when he found it where I was like, oh, really? There's just this area you've never had anything to do with? Yeah. uh, So, but speaking of that, you know, you sounded like uh, he hasn't been 10 years if he won it at his 21st birthday party. And he's in his he's in his early 30s in this. So he's better. Well, do we know for sure? Maybe he's, you know, he's 27, 28. Uh, no, no, <laughs> absolutely not. That, that, that wouldn't fly. But still, regardless, OK, even if he only had it six years, he wouldn't have stumbled across it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, because otherwise, I really liked it. I thought it was a really cool, cool story that, the, you know, the, the writers came up with that, hey, Duke's dad, you know, freaking arranged it that Duke could win back his boat, you know, with his secret inside it. So well, I thought you know, that, that you was know, pretty clever. You know what it might have been is like maybe it was like a Jack Sparrow situation with like the Black Pearl where it's his ship, but he lost it for a good chunk of time in between. So maybe for a good five year chunk, someone else at the Cape Rouge he was off maybe adventuring without it. It was kind of moored somewhere and he was doing his thing with Evie, you know, running around. 
I mean, th- I mean that's that's plausible, but I, I just once again I find it highly unlikely, since he knows where every nook and cranny on the boat is because he's got weapons hid everywhere. <laughs> you would think <laughs> just in those spots, I I could buy a secret area, but yeah, it's a bit of a stretch. Um, it's a, it was a bit of a stretch. I was like, ah, is there like a spot? I don't know, and maybe it. In, in like an area of like function as well, I would less believe it if it was somewhere more like one of the random like I don't know in a wall or something. I might even though you know obviously we know he has secret panels in the walls and stuff, but like somewhere, and I guess it's pretty out of the way. But I don't know. I don't know the functions of a boat, so I don't know if that area is somewhere he has to go a lot. Right? We'd have to find. We have to consult an expert. Yeah. All right. You're doing some, you know, some heavy lifting for uh, the writers on that one, but uh, I'm in a well. neutral state on that one. I'm in a, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not giving it to you, but I'm not taking it away quite yet. I'm kind of, I'm like, I don't know about enough boats. So I'm going to pass this one along. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe this is crazy. Maybe this is, maybe someone's like, they, you know, maybe someone's like they, they would never, people don't look in that area. I don't know. Yeah. But it's just, I, uh, this where I'm at right now. All I know is if I, if I was a boat owner, I would I would know every inch of that boat, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Duke. Yeah, if I was a boat owner, I probably wouldn't know everything. If I was a boat owner and I'm rich enough to be a boat owner and have a boat in LA, then uh, I probably would be like paying other people to maintain it and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, that's but that's not a it, fair point. But not for Duke, right? Duke is gotta you know it's a smuggling ship too so he's got to have secret compartments and everything you know right well and you know it it was kind of cool learning how long the crockers had been in uh haven i mean since uh, 1786 i believe all these old families and these tv shows and movies it's always like your lineage goes back to i'd love the main character like yeah like uh your family just moved here like two years ago (laughs) I guess it's like the subject of a lot of horror movies when they move into like haunted houses, but why couldn't Duke's parents just be here since the 90s? Well, because it wouldn't have been built by a silversmith from the 1780s. Uh, that... Could have been a silversmith from the 90s. How many silversmiths do you think there are left? Are there, do they still do that? Yeah, I don't know. You know, they're probably as common as cobblers, you know, or you know, oh, town it, criers. I feel like cobbler would be more common than silversmith. I would think so. But even that, there's not a lot of cobblers. So when I was in London, I was recommended a cobbler uh, to for some shoes. Well, but I, I did I not know, go. I didn't go. No, I, like well, back when I was in the army, uh, sometimes so they did this thing where they had these green jungle boots were the initial, and then they switched to black. But you could wear the green as long as you had a pair. So a lot of guys would always try to find like a cobbler who could, you know, resole the boots so they could keep wearing their green jungle boots. You know, were they more comfortable or something? I thought they were a little more comfortable, but they looked better. So Mm, so it was just appearance. You look more like a badass in in the green ones, you know. (laughs) So gave you kind of a predator feel. Yeah. Not a to catch a predator feel. That's a totally different thing that you don't want. Yeah, that's what happens to academies for boys and girls or whatever homes. That's <laughs> yeah. No, I agree with you. I, I just we gotta you know what in general what do you think about Audrey's attitude and behavior regarding her killing of the Rev? I mean that that's kind of like one of my my biggest issues with this episode. It was just kind of a bit. 
uh, it was a bit intense. It was a bit aggressive or assertive. I don't know. It was just a bit strong um, because they, they were clearly trying very hard to put Audrey and Nathan at odds on this, but I didn't really think it was, I did think the drama between them was a bit manufactured. I was like, I don't think Nathan would be this frustrated. I don't think Audrey would be this like, just uh, like, I don't know much of a hyper aggressive about it being like, yeah, I fucking shot the rev and I did the right thing. Like what about, what would you do? Would you do? It's like, okay, take did it I down. Do the right thing. Did I do the right thing? Yeah. Are you questioning me? But also Nathan, I thought of like his aggression was also like a little, uh, you know, much. Yeah, I, I would say his is a his is a hair, and hers was a lot, in my opinion, <laughs> a lot. And, uh, and I just and because that's the thing, at the end of the last episode, you know, she she knows she did the right thing, but she's sad and has remorse over it. But now it's almost like she's fucking proud of it. Like hell yeah, I killed the rev. I mean, it might be like a self reassurance thing, you know, like when you're unconfident about something you've done, and you're like. Yeah, no, 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 You know, you're trying to tell yourself over and over, like, no, I did the right thing. No, no, no. Like, that was fine. Maybe it's like that type of situation with her, you know, where she's trying to convince herself that she did the right thing more than she's trying to convince Nathan. Right. I don't know. It just, I thought it was just way too over the top and it, way too over top for the character, uh, Audrey. So, well, like I, I said, I thought both of them were a little like, where yeah. I was like, okay, Nathan, do you need to be like, you're out of control. Like, and I was like, is she really that like her behavior is her actions out of control? She's just investigating this thing. And like before, obviously she handcuffs a guy before that he's getting on her case about her behavior. And it's like, well, yeah, he got a little hyperbolic at, uh, at, at times, but you know, <laughs> yeah. he's like, you were, you know, you're a loose cannon. And I was like, well, like, I don't know. Yeah, until you know, she goes and handcuffs him. Then I'm like, okay, now he's got a point. Now you're a little out of control on that one. Yeah. And in a burning building, we don't see what happens. Did she leave him handcuffed there? I'd like to think so. Yeah. So we are a loose Buchanan. Huh? A we loose never, Buchanan. Never need to see Patrick again. Yeah. No. Uh, they, they they mention at Stu and. Um, Colleen's house that uh, they have enough evidence on him and that he'll be going away for a long time. Posthumously. I like to think (laughs) he'll be going away for a long time in a coffin or a jar. I should say, who knows? Maybe we'll see him again in a a future episode. If they bring back Patrick before they bring back the (laughs) captain or what's his name? Joe Campbell. Joe Campbell. Come on. Before Joe Campbell, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah, that would be. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh, Van Richards. I wouldn't. You know, he's he can come back as the the you know the creature from the Black Lagoon type of situation. That or like you could say the the piece of paper washes ashore and, yeah. and dried out. That would be cool. So, yeah, I just <laughs> that was like I'm serious. That that is what kept me from really giving it a nine because I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the. Uh, episode quite a bit so a couple uh, other things uh, i thought were pretty cool uh i did find it kind of you know audrey's like uh putting out an apb on patrick for for jaywalking and then basically using his jay you know jaywalking as an excuse to handcuff i thought that was kind of funny even though once again she was over the top with how you know she was acting yeah i was just watching the show you and in season two he gets caught for jaywalking as well so must be something, you know, that 
uh, in TV shows that they use as an excuse for cops to do things. You know, that one wasn't let, that wasn't the cop clearly over the line. He's kind of saying like, it's normal. He's like, yeah, yeah. I caught him jaywalking that. And I'm like, who has ever been caught for jaywalking unless they were suspected, unless it was a cop profiling them being like, yeah, I want to get them for something else, but I'm going to like uh, yank. I'm going to talk to him because of jaywalking. Like no one ever fucking gets in trouble for jaywalking. They must have at some point because I remember as a kid, my mom telling me not to jaywalk. And uh, <laughs> so I remember you telling me not to jaywalk, but you were being sarcastic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, my mom was serious. But then again, but then again, my mom was letting me go to the cross the street when I was three for the first time. Yeah. So. <laughs> But as long as you don't jaywalk, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. And probably be, uh, send me over to the Rexall for uh, the Sunday paper and some smokes. So just like Duke's, Duke's, uh, Duke and his dad, right? In, in general, you know, outside of, you know, like Patrick, you know, I thought they did a good job of building, building the tensions between the troubled and, uh, you know, the non troubled and, you know, I thought it was done well in, you know, in most instances. So that, that was pretty good. And uh, kind of one last question for you. So after, you know, Duke and uh, Dwight, they tag team up, they become buddies. And then, you know, over the case, you know, Dwight is prepared to hit, to hit him in the head with the crowbar. And uh, do you think Dwight would try to kill Duke over the box? He might not die. <laughs> oh, you hit someone that you know a man, a man, uh, Dwight size hits hits a man in the head. I mean, with a crowbar. He wouldn't hit him as hard as he can for starters. Uh, like one, he might just be swinging it just hard enough to like, you know, fuck him up, like you know, to stun him. And then, my crowbar's on stun. <laughs> and that yeah, 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 set crowbar to stun. You know, kind of like just to knock his head around and then grab and rip the box, not necessarily going for a knockout. Uh, or and definitely, I don't think he's swinging for the kill. Boy, that was a pretty big swing he took. I, uh, I mean, he was a wrestler. He's a WWE superstar. He knows how to fake, how to make it look convincing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I guess there's no way to suspend disbelief that he's Edge from WWE Superstar Edge. No, so, I yeah. in canon, I'm pretty sure he. Uh, Retires from WWE and just moves to Haven and gets in trouble. It's pretty much confirmed, right? Uh, that'd have been cool if he if he said, "Yeah, I left. Uh, you know, I left Haven to become uh, you know, WWE Superstar Edge." But you know, the troubles came back, so I had to retire and, and come now I'm save just my town. And now I'm just Dwight. Back to well, thank God no bullets were ever fired uh, in the WWE arenas. Yeah, no, that that <laughs> would have been. Oof. So I, I kind of one of the last thing that I kind of had was, uh, you know, I really liked the whole plot twist with Lu- with the the Lucy Ripley thing. I actually mm. liked that quite a bit. I mean, you know, when she sees her and she's like, "Did someone tell you I was coming?" You did. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I liked it. Good you line. Know, you know, and then mixing the whole, uh, you know, basically telling us right that shit, Lucy Ripley figured out you know after obviously the colorado kid was murdered she figured out how it started how to stop it but there's people chasing her to erase her memory and they would erase the real lucy ripley's if she said anything 
I thought that was really cool. And then, you know, then saying Simon Crocker came, came to see her. I just, I, I really liked that. I thought, you know, that was some pretty good writing there. And yeah. it really, like I said, it sets it up, you know, for the season finale. And even though, you know, we don't know how it's going to end, but I'm, I'm really excited kind of for that. I thought it was really well done. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was wondering, obviously, you know, if we were to disbar whatever we know, I don't know if that's the correct phrase, to just uh, put aside what we know about the future episodes and seasons that we'd seen, what I thought would be a really interesting direction and like it kind of like, you know, flitted across my mind, but I didn't really like put too much stock in it, but I think it would be a cool idea is like, what if, you know, Audrey's version, you know, Audrey Lucy, I'm just gonna call her that Audrey Lucy, because there's Audrey Lucy and then there's real Lucy, right? Right. Like, what if there was a romance between, like, a romantic feelings between Audrey, Lucy, and Lucy? How crazy would that be? How narcissistic would that be? Yeah. <laughs> Go F yourself. I just might. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I mean, there's a bit of age difference there. Uh, well, well, no, no, no. But at the time, like... Uh, I get like oh oh you're seeing then, the, the, not, the current not, not Audrey and Lucy but Lucy and Lucy the current iteration okay oh we can make a show called I Love Lucy out of it oh, perfect that's both gosh, of them that's right <laughs> yeah I, that that would be that'd be an interesting interesting concept and uh, but they are virtually the same person but at a point they start like changing you know like yeah what the, what, what the hell what the hell do they talk about right. I mean, they have so much in common. <laughs> That's what I mean, you know. They have all the same hobbies, you know. Hey, uh, you know, one time I did this. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know. They're like, hey, want to knit? If they're into knitting, you know, both of them can hang out knitting, knowing it's their favorite thing. Yeah. Uh... But also we found out that Luce, Audrey's version of Lucy uh, discovered all the truth stuff, right? So we don't know what it unlocked it, you know, how it changed her and unlocked things inside of her, stuff like that, you know? Right. I'm assuming she's not an exact carbon copy, just like our Audrey was a bit different than Fraudry by the point, you know, of them meeting because of her new experiences. Right. And, you know, and leaves mysteries. How are they erased? Well, we know it's in the barn, right? Because that's where Fraudry got walked into. And that we know, uh, OG Lucy would have been erased as well if she had gone into the barn. Forced in. That's right. Probably. Yeah. So now that, you know, big secret, really, if you were, you were paying attention, uh, you, you would figure out that. Right. Yeah. Is so. if Roger got let in, lost her memories, and then old Lucy is talking about how Lucy, you know, Audrey yeah. Lucy lost her memories, put two and two together. Yeah, if this, then yeah, type thing, and we know Ipso our facto. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so basically, uh, we know our listeners are uh, like like super intelligent. So this, you know, we, they easily would have put all that t- together. Even though there's probably plenty of them who binge watched the whole series and now are coming back because it's so awesome. And our podcast is pretty darn good. I mean, it's called a return to Haven. So 
I guess in the title, <laughs> we might assume that they've been there before, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, but, well, we're, we're returning to Haven. So, you know, and, um... yeah, it's no, it's not a secret. I really don't remember. I don't, I don't remember like season five at all. So <laughs> yeah. it's no secret. So it really is a mystery to me how this is going to end everyone. Yeah. And it's, uh, I, don't remember exact endings and, you know, and, and there's big chunks. I, you know, I don't, I don't remember. So it, it's still quite, quite fun, fun for me. I, I enjoy it. Yeah. One, one thing I thought was really cool about this episode is watching. Um, and Sean Pillar mentions it briefly, how there's a lot of father son stuff. He starts a sentence, but steps away from it. He says something about, you know, like, Oh, it's, you know, it's a lot of like, uh nathan and duke dealing with like you know the you know their father's legacy etc and then mentions another name but then kind of stops and milliken starts a new you know he i think was on the verge of a major spoiler but stepped away from the cliff's edge oh uh, I, I know the name he got out right uh for, it definitely pulled from the seven seasons of lore like tome that they keep in the office with all the all the yeah. secrets but yeah, the Chronicles of Ernst. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there it is. Uh, <laughs> that's what the, it's covered in dust. You know, if you pick it up, a giant boulder comes rolling at you if you try to read it. Is it like the, what is it, the Mnemonicon? <laughs> Necronomicon, yeah. Necronomicon. Unleashes on it. Elder Gods uh, if you open it. But no, no, I, I thought that was really cool that he's right that um while their fathers aren't in this episode and the chief isn't even really being mentioned but we're watching nathan grappling with trying to fill the space of his father and trying yeah. to fill his shoes fill his shoes and uh you know be that person in the in the haven community right and as he like uh and it's funny how they intentionally and unintentionally are getting closer and closer to what their fathers were or like might have been of what we know of them right he's like nathan is growing more on the side you know he's he's taken an even further step into helping the trouble the way his father seemed to have been doing um keeping their secrets and whatnot and now duke is discovering his father's legacy uh and so it's pretty cool you know this is obviously more on the surface of trying to figure out who his dad really was yeah and so i did enjoy that that as well and, and uh and edge right talks about his dad too but uh not <laughs> we don't really know enough to like you know say what kind of journey he's on but any father who knows he has a trouble that that means bullets are attracted to him <laughs> and lets his Afghanistan. son <laughs> lets his son join the army and go to afghanistan i'm gonna say you know he's probably not very high on the you know the list of father of the year winners i mean probably a c minus you know yeah <laughs> well, i stopped putting cigarettes out on them there's some points yeah so i thought it was very cool how um and you know it fits into as we know the finale is called sins of the father it's been a lot of that uh you know and nathan it's been a lot of uh patriarchy uh themes going on especially if you consider you know like the rev being uh like a father a, figure a father figure as well too right where he's like this nefarious father uh put the chief, your little put your little tiny hand in his <laughs> the chief you know who kind of seemed like an asshole at times you know we're learning 
uh, how hard his job was and like, you know, the, how he kept the chaos at bay seeming, it seems like he kept so much chaos at bay and we don't know enough about Simon, but, uh, yeah, well, doesn't he held it all good. together. Yeah. yeah. Chief held it all together till it eventually made him explode. Exactly. Literally metaphorically, it's all good. All the analogies, right? Universally, any way you could possibly explode. <laughs> He did, yeah. <laughs> uh, multidimensionally, everything. Uh, yeah, his, his double in a parallel universe is exploded at the same time, yeah. Well, parallel universe is like, like uh, we maybe mentioned that in our Joyland Patreon episode, correct? Yeah, I don't want to give away too much, you know, I, but yeah, there, there are parallel universes in our Patreon episode about Joyland. Yeah, it's, I think it's some pretty cool stuff, actually. And I won't say which one of us came up with the idea. <laughs> uh, but that is in our Patreon series, Trouble with Extra Syrup. If you aren't subscribing, go check it out. Right, and we didn't force that in there. That just came up naturally. Organic. You know, we're waiting for the moment. It's the unplanned. Just like everything we do. No, I'm just kidding. Like I said, good episode. I, I enjoyed it quite well, and I'm really, I'm really stoked to, uh, you know, see the finale. And that's it. On that closes the book on episode 11. We will be back uh, in two weeks on a Monday. Uh, you can join us to uncover more secrets of Haven. Uh, you can tune in wherever you listen to podcasts like Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, etc. If you want to contact us, the easiest way to reach us is troubledrewatchpod at gmail.com. So that's troubledrewatchpod at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Havens Troubled. It's a capital H and a capital T. Uh, we're just shilling our Patreon, but we'll go through it again for you. It is called Troubled with Extra Syrup. That's our $3 tier. That makes you a Haven resident. Uh, you'll get that for $3. Uh, if you join the our Patreon for the $1 tier, that makes you a Haven tourist. There you'll get a fan shout out, some production documents, uh, a wrestler name, a Haven wrestler name, and a Wu-Tang nickname. You also get the uh, documents for our Mad Libs, our Haven Mad Libs. Those are fun. If you want to, by chance, you know, once you get your Wu-Tang name or, you know, if you want to tattoo that tattoo that anywhere on your body, feel free. You know. We recommend the forehead, but anywhere works. You know, as long as you don't cover up the teardrops. And, uh. <laughs> uh, lastly, our $5 tier is Haven's Troubled. That's where we're doing director's cuts. Uh, we'll be dropping those throughout 2021. And uh, you have the option of setting up a Zoom call or Q&A, not obligated to, but we would be happy to accommodate and we can do a discussion, a panel, uh, Q&A. You can talk about us, talk about the show, whatever you want. We can turn it into an episode if you want for everybody to listen to if you think it'll be entertaining or a transcript even if you don't like the sound of your own voice. Well, we would have to then cover up our teardrop tattoos, but yeah. Right, right, right. That we don't uh, have, no. <laughs> uh, but that is it for me. Uh, thank you for listening. This is Alex French. And this is Rich French. I want to thank everyone for listening and uh, returning to Haven with us. I hope you return to Haven with us again uh, in two weeks. Looking forward to sharing uh, our, our takes on the episode with you. So thanks again. And uh, please be safe, especially please be safe now. And uh, please remember, never let your troubles get you down.